Well, we're back in Genesis. Uh, Genesis 26 is where we're going to pick up. Right where we left off at Genesis 26, the last couple of verses is where we'll start tonight. And my intention, and we will do this, I believe, will be to get through all of chapter 27 and even into the first nine verses of chapter 28. And it will not, that is not as daunting a task as it might seem, because sometimes I know that I can be verbose. But I think that we'll be able to cover it. We'll be, I think we'll be able to cover in a somewhat concise fashion uh, as we get back into this. Um, just kind of to, to pick up, it, it, you know, two months now since we've been here, so just to, to, you know, when you watch a TV show and it'll say previously on such and such show, it'll give you a little synopsis of what happened last time. What happened in the recent times we've been in Genesis is Abraham has died. Uh, he is the man to whom God promised what? Land, seed, and blessing. He made the covenant with Abraham in chapter 12, reiterated in chapter 15, chapter 17, chapter 25, Abraham dies. So that leaves Isaac as the patriarch of the family at present. He is still alive. However, Jacob and Esau have both been born. In our text tonight, they are grown men, um, and they are mature men, Um but we've already been exposed somewhat to their character. Uh, we covered the account of Esau selling his birthright to Jacob back in chapter 25 as well. Um, and by the way, the, the text we'll be looking at tonight is kind of the, the other shoe to drop on that account. Uh, if you recall, while Jacob was not faultless at all in that whole birthright episode, I made the assertion then, and I'll remind us tonight that we are generally more harsh on Jacob than Scripture is. Um, Jacob is called in chapter 25 a complete man. Um, the, kind of the same thought as a perfect man or a blameless man, a peaceful man is the way some translations render that. The idea being that while he does have some character faults, and we're going to see some tonight, um, in contrast to his brother Esau, he he fears the God of his fathers. He fears the God of Abraham. He fears the God of Isaac, whereas Esau might be this man's man on the outside, but his heart has been shown to be self-absorbed, selfish, uh, and not fearing the Lord, not fearing the promises of God, not fearing the Word of God, not heeding the Word of God. Um, he pretty much living without reference to God. And we're going to see a lot more evidence of that and what we're about to look at. Isaac is still alive, like I said. Um, he is much like his father Abraham. He trusts in the Lord like Abraham. He's also prone to the same kind of faithlessness as Abraham. We saw earlier in chapter 26 um, how he lied about his wife, said she's my sister with Abimelech. We saw that. That's something that Abraham did on a couple of occasions. Um, basically, you know, uh, fearing death more than trusting God to pr protect and provide. God delivered Isaac out of that just like he had delivered Abraham out of that. And we see at, at the end of what we were looking at last time, which was verse 33, that God's faithfulness um, 
to provide, you know, we had the situation with the wells where God continued to provide for Isaac. So the, the theme here has been God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to keep his promises to those whom he has chosen to save. Uh, rather that be Abraham or Isaac, and as we're going to see tonight, that keeps going on. And that's pretty much where the story of Isaac ends, with the exception of what we're about to read. Um, ex- except for, you know, we'll get to his death. His death is not going to be told to us until chapter 35. So he's got some time left on the earth, but the story is going to definitely shift toward Jacob and Esau, and really to Jacob. So we're not going to read every bit of this tonight, just for time's sake, but we will read some of it. And I do want to start with the first two verses, which are the last two verses of chapter 26, starting in verse 34. It says, When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, and Basemeth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, what jumps out about that is wickedness. It's worldliness from Esau. He had a wicked heart. And and how is that shown here? Because unless we understand Scripture, unless we are are looking back on what's happened before and and putting Scripture with Scripture, we might not understand why is this uh, a problem. Well, if we think back to Esau's father Isaac, remember how meticulous God was in bringing Isaac a wife. Remember how, I think it's chapter 24, yes, it's chapter 24, where Abraham basically makes his servant swear an oath to not bring, to, to, to not give his, his son a wife from the daughters of the Canaanites, the people of the land they were in. He makes his servant travel several hundred miles to his own people in Paddan Aram, and that's where Rebecca comes from. Um, and so God was very careful about preserving the line of his promised seed. The son of God's promise would need a godly wife. So does Esau learn from that? Does he learn from how his mama met his daddy? No, he does not. He goes and takes a Hittite woman, a woman of the land, a woman from the world, uh, and then no doubt knowing from his father and grandfather that God intended the two, male and female, to become one flesh, he then goes and amends his first bad choice by making a second bad choice and taking a second Hittite wife. So he's a polygamist. And he, he was presumptuous. He, he was utterly unconcerned with the will of God here. Uh, he's not caring at all about the promises. He doesn't care about the blessings Instead, he spitefully is joining himself to an idolatrous people. He's, he, he's, he's wedding himself to idolaters. He's making a deliberate choice to be like the world, to, to rebel, knowing that it's going to be, bring grief to his father and his mother, and it does bring grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now that said, that makes the first few verses of Genesis 27 very troubling. Because some time has passed since Esau took these wives when we get to chapter 27. We don't know how much time. But Isaac is now old. We're told that his eyes were too dim to see. So basically he's a blind man. Um, His body is failing. He knows it. 
death is imminent. He doesn't know when he's going to die, but he wants to be prepared for that. He wants to, what what we call, get his affairs in order. And now, uh, it it should be said that he's he's not going to die anytime soon. There's going to be several years that pass, but he doesn't know that. And he, for whatever reason, felt that the time might be short. And Rebecca, his wife, by the way, seems to feel that same way. Maybe he was... Maybe he had some illness. I don't, I don't know. That's not That much isn't revealed. But what is revealed is that he feels it's close enough to call in Esau, his firstborn, <coughs> his favorite. And despite what we just read at the end of chapter 26, he says that he wants to bless Esau. Go and, and hunt the game I love. Prepare for me a savory dish. And I'm going to bless you before I die. It's my paraphrase there. You can read it uh, in verses 1 through uh, 5. And what makes this so troubling isn't just that Esau is marrying Hittite wives, plural, and, and he's still going to bless him after that, but, but Isaac knows, he already knows that Jacob is the son of promise. If you remember... And I, I believe this is also the first part of chapter 25. Yes. Two nations are in your womb, and the two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. That's what God told Rebecca when the twins were struggling in her womb, and she was basically something... It was, it was not a normal pregnancy. It, no one had answers for her, so she sought out God, and God told her that... Uh, these two na- the, 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 the younger is going to be stronger than the older. And it, it, there can be no doubt that Isaac knew God had said this to his wife. And so his determination, in spite of God's clear revelation, his determination to bless Esau and thus thwart God's stated purpose is very troubling, especially for someone who we count as one of the faithful. Um, and why? Because God's people are to follow God's word and carry out God's revealed will. We taught our VBSers two weeks ago. In fact, I've still got the music from VBS on my iPod that we were playing for the, for the, for the, for the kids. And on the way here, on the radio, comes John fourteen fifty, one of the memory verse songs, If you love me, keep my commandments. And that's basically what God's people are to do. And, and Isaac is here acting in a way that's contrary to that. Uh, so often we do too. I mean, we know what the Bible says. We know when we shouldn't do something, but we want to do it because we want to do it. So we follow our own desires. And that seems to be where Isaac's at right here. Um, and so he's doubly accountable, just like we would be doubly accountable. It's twice as bad because he, he knows this. And it should also be noted, you know, we glean this from verse 5, that Isaac is doing this apart from Rebekah. Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. The implication being is that they, they weren't together in this. Rebecca was listening while Isaac was saying this. The implication is that she's overhearing this, like eavesdropping, like just outside the door, like Sarah was uh, just outside the tent when God was talking to Abraham back in chapter 18. Um, so she's not in on this decision to bless Esau, and it shows that there may have been some abiding friction between Isaac and Rebekah 
with each favoring a different son because she obviously favors Jacob and she goes to Jacob who again is a grown mature man at this point they both are and she tells him what she's heard look at verses 8 through 10 what does she say to him now therefore my son listen to me as I command you go now to the flock and bring me two choice young goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father such as he loves then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. Now, Rebecca here is plainly acting to prevent her husband's plan from coming to fruition. Which on the surface seems condemnable because wives are supposed to submit to their husbands. Marriage is an institution of God. It's created by God um, and, and the New Testament command for, you know, we read that, wives submit to your husbands. We read that in Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. But that command isn't just for the New Testament. We see that command played out from Genesis all through the Bible. Um, it's an all-time command. So she was to submit to her, to, to her husband Isaac. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, Sarah is lauded because she called Abraham Lord. And she acknowledged his headship, his authority over her. So that said, she seems to be, you know, she's thwarting her husband's will. But Isaac's will, again, was setting about to thwart a higher will. God's will. And whenever we see a conflict of wills, whenever we see a conflict of authorities in our life, we always go with God's will. We always go with with God's authority. What I mean by that is if I, Joshua, you're my son, if I ever told you to do something that was sinful, you are free to disobey me in that regard because God has told you not to sin, right? Just like, uh, and, that, and that seems to be what, what, what Rebecca is doing. She has been told by God, Jacob is the son of promise. She knows it's Jacob. So she is seeking God's will in that sense, but it does have to be said, the way she goes about it is not good. The way she goes about doing this is not to be celebrated. Instead of lovingly approaching her husband and reminding him of God's words, she sets about with this plan. She's not trusting God herself to, to accomplish His will. She, she feels she has to act in this deceiving, kind of nefarious way to help God's will along. And so in verse 8, she I'm struck by the language here. She commands you. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Because Jacob, again, is a strong man. But, but interestingly, um, his response leaves much to be desired as well. You know, he doesn't protest that her deception is wrong, that her plan is wrong, that it's sinful. He simply brings up a very reasonable point that even though his father can't see, you know, the rest of his senses work just fine. He's going to find me out. Uh, Esau is hairy. My skin is smooth, he essentially says. And he rightly fears, verse 12, that he will be seen as a deceiver in his father's sight. And he does not want to be seen as a deceiver in his father's sight. He fears that he will not be blessed, but that he will be cursed. And, and that might not seem like a big thing in 21st century after Christ, but... 
this concept of blessings and cursings is all over the Old Testament, and it was very significant. Uh, you know, from Genesis three, when God cursed the man, the woman, and the serpent, to you know, especially to Deuteronomy twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, when God is laying out the blessings and cursings for obedience and disobedience as the children of Israel are about to go into the promised land. But Rebekah tells Jacob, Your curse be on me. Verse 13, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them. Get the goats for me. She's going to make the goats. She's going to make the meal. And Jacob does what his mother tells him to do. And she makes the meal and she takes Esau's best clothes and puts them on Jacob. The, the skins of the goats that she cooks, she somehow fastens to his hands and his neck, gives Jacob the food, gets him all ready. And so she is going through great pains here as much as she can to make Jacob seem to be Esau. Of course, he didn't have Esau's voice. And that comes up in verse 18. We read, Then he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you? My son. So Isaac seems to sense right away that something isn't right. Now it is possible that his hearing was affected uh, by his failing body. That, uh, but you know, and being brothers, Jacob and Esau could have had similar voices, but it sounded different to Isaac. He was expecting Esau. This wasn't Esau, and you can bet that Isaac probably tried to sound as much like Esau. As he could, but Isaac, you know, because he, 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 he knew Jacob's voice as well. Jacob is his son, too. Jacob probably would have hoped that he didn't have to speak at all. But once Isaac began questioning him, now Jacob descends into flat out lying. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. And then, you know, he tells Isaac, you know, get up, eat, so that you can bless me. And Jacob is, you know, he's obeying his mother here, but at this point, he has disregarded the higher authority, which is a God who is true and truthful, and followed after his mother, which is not admirable at all. Um, Isaac rightly wonders, because this happens very quickly. All this happens uh, pretty quickly. how Esau could have done all this so quickly. And Jacob is playing the part of Esau here, appeals to God. Because the Lord, your God, caused it to happen to me. Now what's curious, it's always been curious to me, and to be honest with you, I don't know the significance of this, but the use of the pronoun your there, and not our, blessed because the Lord, your God, not our God, is has always been curious to me because was Jacob saying your because Isaac would have not expected Esau to say your or was Jacob simply saying your because Isaac was of the Lord and the Lord was his God um, King Saul does something very similar in First Samuel fifteen I'm thinking about preaching on this text on Sunday. Um, and we've just gone over it in my Sunday school class too here recently. But in, in 1 Samuel, when Samuel tells Saul, God wants you to wipe out all the Amalekites, 
and Saul doesn't do it. He spares the king, he spares the best of the ox and the sheep and stuff. And Saul, in kind of making an excuse to Samuel, uses the term your God and not our God or my God. So, <clears throat> it, it, it's I, I don't know what the significance is of that, um, but I do find it curious. I think the use of pronouns is just as inspired as any other word in Scripture. And so I do believe there's some significance there. Um, Jacob comes close to his father. Verse 24, he fears him, uh, he, or he feels him. You know, he feels the hairy skin. But there's still some doubt there. He says, you know, are you really my son Esau? It's like it's like he wants to believe it's Esau, but there's something in the back of his mind saying something's wrong here. And Jacob, rather than finally admitting the truth, he doubles down on the lie. I am, he says. And, and with that, Esau is satisfied and he eats the food. And, and we'll get to the blessing in a minute, but it, it really is stunning to me reading this and, and just going through this again and even teaching it tonight, it's surprising to me. And, and Scripture will surprise you sometimes by what it says and what it doesn't say. That, that Jacob and Rebekah are not condemned by Scripture for what they did here. Now, when we compare Scripture with Scripture, it's pretty clear they sinned and they sinned pretty egregiously. But why were they not condemned? It's a good question. And the reason, as I understand it, as I believe, has to be that as bad as what Jacob and Rebekah were doing, as bad as that was, what Esau, what, what Isaac was planning to do was very much worse. The, the, the ramifications of Esau's plan to bless Isaac would have been much worse. Uh, God's will... He'd made his will known. His will was going to prevail. So while Jacob and Rebekah went about this in a sinful, deceptive way, they're not condemned here because of what they ended up preventing, which would be the disruption of God's line of promise. And if we've seen anything in Genesis from chapter 3 through now, we've seen that God acts through the course of history to preserve the promised line that will eventually culminate in a Messiah. Um, we do see sometimes in the Bible where a lie is excused. I don't remember. I, I was either in Sunday school, Wade, you might remember, or, or in some setting here recently where we were talking about this, but you know, the Hebrew midwives uh, in Exodus 1 are not condemned when they lie to Pharaoh. Why? Because they were preventing something much worse, and that's the execution, the, the tossing into the Nile of Hebrew babies, male children. Rahab in Joshua chapter 2, she's not condemned. She lies to the king of Pharaoh who's looking for these two Israelite spies and she's hiding them and they go down on uh, out of the, the window and, and she's going to end up hanging a scarlet thread so that when the Israelites come in, they, they're going to wipe out Jericho but they're going to spare her. And, and she's not condemned either. That said, you know we should not take this as a cue that it's ever God's will that we should deceive, that we should not take this as a cue that we should ever have an excuse to lie, but it does answer the question of why it happened here. Because ultimately, God's glory 
was at stake. Ultimately, God's plan was going to come to pass. And God's glory is the overarching purpose of everything. God's glory is the overarching purpose of the best thing that's ever happened to you. And God's glory is the overarching purpose of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And everything in between. Everything ultimately, in some way, is to bring God the most glory. I don't have all the answers to why that is. I don't have all the answers to how uh, a, a knife attack in Tokyo brings the most glory to God. I don't. And, and it's not for us to know all of that. But what we do know is that the glory of God is the chief end of man. Scripture makes that pretty clear. It doesn't say it in those words, but it does say it when it says something like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, whatever you do, you do to the glory of God. And, and however bad this was and how Jacob and Rebekah were acting, ultimately it glorified God the most. Question. Yes. Do you think it's possible that Rebekah felt justified because God had revealed to her that Jacob was the chosen son? I think that that is her motivation. I think that God has told me this. I know this to be true. She's wondering what's going on in your head, Isaac, probably. And she probably sees she probably sees that her best recourse is this this plan to deceive. It's probably there's a lack of faith there that God's going to carry it out. Ultimately, this is how God carries it out, ironically. But I do think that there's I think that's her motivation there. I think that she God has revealed this to her. She is faithful, but sometimes the faithful can can go about things the wrong way too. And um and I believe that's what Rebecca inevitably did. Um let's look at the blessing uh real quick. Um verses twenty six to twenty nine, I'll just read that. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him, and when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. And now here's the important part, the, 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 the main part. May, may the, may, now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. And if that sounds familiar, if that wordage, that verbiage sounds familiar, it should because it's very similar to the blessing given to Abraham and Isaac. Um, especially that last part. But before we get to that, before Isaac gets to that, he, he, he starts, especially when we get to verse 28, by focusing on physical material blessings. He still thinks it's Esau. And Isaac's blessing, you know, it's a little, it seems a little strange to us. We're not familiar with these types of blessings, but it includes an aspect of prophecy. He is foretelling that his son, who is really Jacob, is going to be materially blessed by God, and that does end up being the case. Jacob becomes a very rich man. So we know that comes to pass. But the most important part of the blessing is verse 29. 
And it emphasizes how off Isaac was here because you know, giving this blessing to who he thought was Esau, again, he's, I, I can't reiterate enough that he is aware, he has to be aware of what God has told his wife back when they were born, uh, before they were born, that the younger is going to be stronger than the older. And so he nevertheless says, thinking this is Esau, may peoples serve you and nations bow down to you be master of your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. This is incredibly out of step with what God has clearly revealed. He's basically prophesying the opposite, and he doesn't even realize it. Um, it doesn't make it crystal clear that Jacob was aware of God's revelation to Rebecca. That Jacob... I mean, that, that, that Isaac? That Isaac was... It's there. not spelled out, but, I mean... <clears throat> One would think so, but uh, it, it's not made crystal It's clear. not spelled out. I think... I think it, it... I think I'm safe in assuming it, though. I think I am. Um, it, 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 you're right when it's, when it's not, com- when it's not uh, completely spelled out there. If we go back to... Uh, Chapter 25, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him and she conceived. But the children struggled within her and she said, If it is so, why then am I this way? She goes to inquire of the Lord and the Lord says to her, I I just have a hard time believing that she wouldn't have told her husband this. uh, Because he, you know, is, they're, they're one flesh. Um... I suppose there's the chance that that Rebecca kept this to herself, but there's also no there's no indication that she kept it to herself either. Um, that's not spelled out. So, um, I believe he's aware. Um, and he invokes clear language from God's covenant with his father Abraham. Um, here, here's Wade. You ask a good question, and I'm I'm sitting here and I'm answering it while I'm thinking I'm thinking through it here. If it is Esau, he's still messed up here because he's he's that doesn't change the fact. Well, I, I got to think through that some more, but I, I'm of the opinion that Isaac knew. I'm I'm, I'm of the opinion Isaac knew. Um, he pronounces this blessing. He does so under the inspiration of, the, of God, uh, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Um, there's one other time that I can think of right off the top of my head where uh, there's a prophet who wants to prophesy something and God's just not going to let him open his mouth to prophesy what he wants to. That was Balaam in the book of Numbers. God actually gets his attention through a, a talking donkey. Um and he ends up prophesying well of Israel and against Israel's enemies, much to his chagrin. But God's will, the bottom line is God's will was going to be done. God's will is going to be done. That's always the bottom line. God's, uh, we talk about his will. Um, quick aside here. Uh, we, we can think about his will in two different ways. And I should probably spend more time on this one day, but... There's his will of decree. When I talk about God's will of decree, 
I've probably talked about this before. But, you know, God declares everything that happens, period. When he says, you know, I am God, I am, I declare the end from the beginning in, in Isaiah 46. Um, my God does as he pleases, Psalm 115.3. Um, his will, everything he decrees does come to pass. And then here's, there's his will of command. And his will of command is what we must follow. It, it's impossible to, to, to violate God's will of decree. You know, we could shout at the wind all we want to, but we're not going to change what God wants to do. God's will of command is keep my commandments, that type of thing. Um, and he's sovereign over both of those. But, uh, you know, and Isaac is, is seeking to bless the wrong guy here. Well, he finishes the blessing in verse 30. Notice in verse 30, now it came about as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out. So he splits as quickly as he can. And don't you know that you would probably do the same thing if you were Jacob in this case? And pretty much right after Jacob leaves, Esau comes in from hunting. He makes the food. He brings it to his father. He's anxious to, to receive the blessing. Here's this man of the world who is ready to be blessed so that he can enjoy the world even more than he already is. He doesn't really seem to care at all about the spiritual part of it. But if it brings him riches, if it brings him power, if it brings him superiority, especially over Jacob, he's going to take that in a heartbeat because you've got to think he still has in his mind. In fact, we're going to see he still has in his mind the episode with the birthright from chapter 25. Let my father arise and eat his son's game, he said, that you may bless me. And Isaac is like, who are you? And Esau identifies himself and Verse 33, Isaac trembled violently. So here he was trying to carry out this, his will and God has overruled him. He had blessed Jacob instead of Esau and it really seems like right away he realizes that's what has happened here. Not simply that he's been deceived but God has overruled him. That both of these things have happened. And that's what causes him to tremble violently. Uh, the Hebrew is very graphic. It says something like, Isaac trembled most excessively with a great trembling, which really isn't... That, that's, I mean, trembled violently is, is pretty graphic, but that's even more graphic. Um, and, and he's no doubt angry. You know, if, if your wife and son had deceived you and you just found out about it, you'd, you'd be angry, you'd be sad, you'd be hurt. But there also is guilt here. Um, I, I, as, as I read this, as... As I understand this, there, there's guilt here. Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me, so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. It's as if, as painful as it is, as painful as being deceived by your wife and son, uh, yes, and he shall be blessed is a statement of fact. There's a sense of resignation in those words and of submission to the fact that the will of God has been carried out. Um, and with great sadness with himself, uh, with those words. After all, he was the one who, if I understand this correctly, tried to destroy his own home. And it literally shook him. And, and Esau, we can imagine what he must have been thinking 
uh, how he must have been stunned and, and flooded with all kinds of emotions himself. Sadness, you know, a great sense of loss. Um, I wouldn't acknowledge it. I wouldn't recommend you play the lottery, but if you had that million-dollar lottery ticket and then it blew away and you could never find it, that, that type of thing, you know. Um, verse 44 says, He cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he basically begs his father to bless him. And what Isaac said in verse 35, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. What's missing from Isaac's response to Esau is any admission of guilt on his part. Um, That he shouldn't have sought to bless Esau in the first place. Um, But he doesn't admit that here. Only Jacob... He, he kind of throws Jacob under the bus. And so Esau's anger turns to Jacob. Look at verse 36. I've got to turn my page here. Um, then he said, this is Esau talking, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Yeah, my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Um, Jacob's name, if you recall, some say supplanter, like heel catcher, one who who trips another by the heel. If you recall, when they were born, he, he's grabbing Esau's heel on his way out. Um, and Esau notes that his younger brother has lived up to his name twice now. Again, he's got the, he hadn't forgotten the birthright. And now this. Um, and so it has to have been bitter. We get to verse 37. For Esau to hear his father say, Behold, I have made him your master. And all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I have sustained him. Again, the pronouns are what are, are emphatic there. Uh, are, are very important. Jacob is going to have political superiority over Esau. He's going to have financial superiority over Esau. Not to mention God's spiritual blessings. And then Isaac does add, Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? And Esau, do you only have one blessing? Bless even me also, O my father. In the verse of 38, uh, the end of 38, So Esau lifted his voice and wept. And so then we see that Isaac finally does give this prophetic blessing for Esau. In contrast to Jacob, Esau and his descendants would live away from the fertility of the earth, away from the dew of heaven from above. They'll be violent people. By your sword you shall live. And this is the part that probably hurt the most. And your brother you shall serve. But it shall come about when you become restless that you will break his yoke from your neck. And that's what happened. It, Esau, or Edom, the Edomites, lived under the... They were like the, the little brother kind of under Israel. As small as Israel was in the grand scheme of things, they were below Israel, right by Israel, and kind of with the yoke around their neck. They did break that yoke off, though, just like God said they would. And the, the way they did that is... a that in 722, not 722, later on, in uh, the late 7th century, the, uh, 
605, 603, 586 B.C., they helped the Babylonians come in to destroy Jerusalem. And in fact, the prophet Obadiah speaks about this. He writes about this. But this is not a good result for Esau. This was not a good result for Edom because they eventually disappear as a nation. And what this was, Esau's life of forsaking God, Esau's life of immorality and indifference catches up with him. Just like it will catch up with anyone today who tries to live that way. Um, and, and still seek the, the blessing of God. It's just not going to happen the way they want it to. Um, and that should be a solemn warning to you and me tonight to, to know that when we are indifferent to the Word of God, when we just say, well, I'm going to do my own thing, it will catch up to us. It will catch up to the one who does that. Esau, verse 40, we're almost done. Uh, we're going longer than I thought we would tonight, um, but we're about done. In verse 41, he bears a grudge against Jacob. Now, what we know happens here is he, he, he determines he's going to kill Jacob after his father dies. Rebekah hears about this, and basically she comes to Isaac, and they're going to send him to Haran, to Paddan Aram, to, to her brother Laban, to, to be safe. Um, and she does this knowing she might not and probably won't ever see Jacob again. Um, the death of Rebekah is not recorded in the Bible, so we don't know exactly when it happened. Interestingly enough, the death of her nurse is, is recorded in the Bible, which is curious. But um, her death is not mentioned. So she goes to Isaac. She says to Isaac in verse 46, and this is kind of how... The whole thing begins to wrap up. I'm tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. So, so she, the these wives of Esau who brought such grief to Isaac and Rebekah, she doesn't want Jacob to take one of these women. So they send him away. And that is where the two paths of these two twins separate for quite some time. And they go in completely different directions. Jacob is separated from the promised land for a, a considerable amount of time. And what we're going to see over the next few chapters is that God is going to really work on Jacob's character flaws. He's really going to work on Jacob's heart over the next few chapters. Because Jacob is not a character to be admired at this point. But if he's going to be the patriarch of God's people, then God's going to have to do some work on him. And that's what we're going to see. Esau, on the other hand, is going to keep going in the direction he was. In verses 1 through 5, chapter 28, Isaac reiterates, he, he's sending Jacob away in the first two verses. And then in verse 3, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you so that you become a company of peoples. May He also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, so that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. So he now is definitely repeating the blessing, the covenant blessing. <clears throat> He's reiterating it to Jacob. What about Esau? Verses 6 through 9. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram, 
to take to himself a wife from there, and that when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. So Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan displeased his father Isaac, and Esau went to Ishmael and married besides the wives that he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. A couple of different ways to, to look at this, this last part about Esau. And quite frankly, I'm not sure which way is more likely. On the one hand, you could say, well, he was so mad at his father for what happened that he saw that he didn't want him to take from the daughters of Canaan. So he goes and marries one of these daughters of Ishmael. He does it out of spite. That's one way of looking at it. There is another way of looking at it, and it's that he heard what his parents told Jacob to do, and this is the way I lean because of how the text goes about him uh, you know, seeing how he blessed him and, and Jacob obeyed. He saw Jacob obeyed, and so perhaps in a belated attempt to maybe rectify the blessing, he goes to another one of his father's brother's relatives, uh, Ishmael's relatives, you know, Isaac's brother, Ishmael, and he finds a wife from there. Still, though, he was wrong in doing that, and here's why. Because he would have known. He would have known from his father that Ishmael's people were rejected as far as the covenant promise was concerned. So, um, either way, he's wrong. One's maybe just a little not so as terrible as the other. Um, He is on this trajectory of rebellion. Now, that's the last we're going to see of Esau for many years. Down the line, there will be a meeting between Jacob and Esau again. We'll look at that in some time. The hostility will have faded by then. Um, Esau will be quite warm to his brother. But that doesn't change the consequences of his life. And uh, Jacob... He's going to go on, and again, God's going to work on him, and we're going to see that more. So until then, just as kind of the closing line, as as Christians, we are the people of God. We need to be reminded from this story, you know, the the Old Testament's given to us for our example, for an example. Um, Brought that up on Sunday morning. There are consequences to our actions. And ultimately, the will of God is going to be done no matter what we want. And God is always going to glorify Himself. So the way we need to live is in a manner where God's glory is what matters most to us as well. Then we'll be glorifying Him through obedience, through submission, through love, through fidelity rather than glorifying him and his discipline upon us. Jacob ended up seeing one of those kinds of discipline. Esau the other. Let's pray. Father, in my long-windedness tonight, I pray that you will implant upon our hearts the truth and that we will go forth seeking to 
know that while we are very imperfect people, there is grace to be found in Jesus Christ. May we avoid blatant sinfulness, but in knowing that you are sovereign, seek to glorify you with hearts that obey. May you work in us to magnify your name much the same way we've seen you work in Abraham and in Isaac. We're going to be seeing you in Jacob. We ask this in the name of their descendant, your son Jesus Christ. Amen.